Amen. Good morning. I'd like to start this morning by saying that the scaffolding being here is not part of my master plan. Although, I guess, you know, because, uh, you know, sort of forced everybody to squeeze in a little bit more. That day is coming, but I didn't. They, they told us that it was going to be here today, but it was primarily going to be out of the way. I'd, I'd like to know what they think of out of the way, you know. But hopefully it will not be here next week. I think, too, once we get into our new building, we just need to set aside a Sunday for, like, remembrance of Basha Sunday. <laughs> and just throw a bunch of different things out there just because, you know, for the last seven or eight years, this is part of the journey that we have been on. Hebrews chapter 5, beginning at verse 11 this morning. Hebrews chapter 5, beginning at verse 11. Um, if there is a passage of Scripture that sort of summarizes why we at the Oasis do church the way we do, why we have the values that we do, why we make some intentional choices that we make, Probably no passage of Scripture in the entire Bible could summarize it as well as the passage we're going to look at this morning. So, obviously, this is a passage that's near and dear to my heart. It's one that I have based even my, pretty much my pastoral ministry on for 32 years. And why, when we started the church, we adopted certain values and certain priorities for us as a local church. Because this passage from Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, down through really just chapter 6, verse 1, just a few verses here, is all about calling Christians to spiritual maturity. And in the verses that end chapter 5, he basically gives his readers and us the consequences of spiritual immaturity And then beginning in chapter 6, he gives us as Christians the call to maturity. The reason why he does that here is obviously we've been learning throughout our study of Hebrews that the people that he's writing to are in a very bad place spiritually. They're in a very weakened condition. They are thinking about giving up in a sense of continuing to follow Jesus Christ and just go back to the Old Testament system. And they don't have the spiritual strength or wherewithal to just do what God is calling them to do. And the author of Hebrews is going to share with them very plainly and very clearly that the primary reason why they are not able to follow Christ as they are called to is because they have not made spiritual growth and maturity in their life a priority. And they are paying a heavy price price for it. Now he begins in verse 11 by talking about on this topic. Well, the topic is found in chapter 5, verse 10, which is the order of Melchizedek. I wish somebody would name their little boy Melchizedek. Isn't that a great name? Now the reason why the order of Melchizedek is important is because 
it, it gives us understanding into the priesthood of Jesus Christ, which is very important and something that he would love to be able to explain. But as he says in verse 11, uh, it's hard for me as a teacher, he said, to bring it down to your level because through your spiritual immaturity, one of the consequences of it is that it's harder for you to grasp spiritual truth. Let me just go back real quickly to this whole order of Melchizedek, just to give you a little understanding this morning, not that that's what the message is about. Why is the order of Melchizedek important, and why is it important for us as Christians to understand it? When God created the universe that he made, he created it with certain laws. He is a God of order. And yet every once in a while, obviously, whenever he feels like it, he can go outside of those laws that he has created for the universe to operate under, and he can do something outside of that. And we obviously call those times that God chooses to do that miracles, okay? Well, God every once in a while does something, uh, exception, an exception to the general rule. Well, when he set up the priesthood in the Old Testament, he said, I want all of the priests in Israel to come through the line of Aaron. And that's the way it went down through history. If you were a priest, you had to be an ancestor of Aaron. Well, obviously, Jesus Christ, we know, the Bible teaches, did not come through the line of Aaron. He came through the line of who? David. Right. You pay attention. Good. And because of that, there would be Jews that would go, well, wait a minute. Jesus is not a legitimate priest. Ah, but God said, I set up a precedent for a priesthood that doesn't run through the line of Aaron, even that preceded and actually was greater than the line of Aaron's priesthood. And that was where Melchizedek came in. So that, that's why it's important for us to have an understanding of this priest and priesthood that even precedes the Aaronic priesthood that was set up in Exodus, because obviously Melchizedek, if you know where that's found, that's found in the book of Genesis. It even comes before that. Just as Jesus, obviously the eternal Son of God, existed before anything. Therefore, his priesthood is exception to the Aaronic priesthood. Well, beginning in verse 11 then of chapter 5, he begins to say to these people to try to rally them and rile them and stir them and saying, look, the, the main reason you're at where you're at is you have not continued to grow. That's why you're where you're at. And I will just say that 99% of Christians who are struggling with things in their life and spiritually in a weakened condition and not on top of things and life is getting the better of them and all that. Really, the answer 99% of the time is that probably they have not been spiritually growing as they should be. That's usually the answer. You see, if we would just as Christians commit to a steady spiritual progression in our lives from the time we get saved, a lot of what we struggle with later on wouldn't be quite the struggle if we would have committed to the priority of spiritual growth. So, I say all that to now 
show us in four verses at the end of chapter 5 of Hebrews the consequences of spiritual immaturity. And the first one is found in verse 11. On this topic, the topic of the order of Melchizedek's priesthood, we have much to say. It is difficult to explain since you have become sluggish in hearing. First consequence of spiritual immaturity is this. Spiritual truth is harder to grasp. A spiritually immature Christian. And again, he's not writing here to baby Christians. That's going to become even more obvious. He's writing here to people who got saved and committed their life to Christ years before. And now have gotten to a bad place spiritually. A spiritually unhealthy, weakened place. And he's saying, here's part of the reason. In fact, maybe the main reason why it's hard for you to understand biblical truth. Because you haven't grown. And so that's one of the big consequences is that so many Christians go, I find it so hard to understand the things of God's word. Well, there's a couple of reasons for that. One, that could be on the pastor teacher. We're supposed to make the Bible simple enough for people to understand. And so often... Pastor teachers don't do a good job of explaining biblical truth and doing it in a simple way for people to grasp. But the other side of that is the reason why it may be hard or harder to grasp biblical truth is because I'm not growing like I should. I'm not a spiritually maturing Christian or progressing Christian I'm a spiritually immature Christian, therefore it's very hard for me to understand biblical truth. And all I can say is, if we don't start committing ourselves to moving on to maturity, as the author says, it's only going to get harder. That's the first consequence. Notice the second consequence. He says, for though you should in fact be teachers, verse 12. The second consequence of being a spiritually immature Christian is that we are being irresponsible towards our brothers and sisters in Christ, our fellow believers. Let me explain. Some of you are going to say, whoa, God didn't call me to be a teacher. I'm not supposed to fill the role that you have, Pastor Jeff. And that's right. But that's not the explanation of this word. This word simply means that from God's perspective, every Christian should grow to a point in their life where they can start helping other people understand the truths of God's word. That we can help people learn the Bible like we learned the Bible. It has nothing to do with holding a formal teaching position in a church. It has nothing to do with having the spiritual gift of teaching or being called to teach at all. He is simply saying that all of us as Christians have a responsibility. The word should means to owe, to have a duty, to have an obligation, to have a responsibility towards each other. Wow. I know a lot of Christians don't even sort of realize that. You mean... God holds me responsible to grow to a point where I can help other Christians who are coming after me and who've been saved after me and all of that. I'm supposed to help them understand God through his word too? Yeah. 
That's not just my responsibility. That's not just elders' responsibility or, or other people. That's all of our responsibility. And that's one of the consequences of spiritual immaturity in the church is when we only think it's only up to the teachers who hold certain positions to be able to help other people learn about God through His Word. No, God says it's up to all of us. All of us should become teachers. We should learn enough of this to be able to pass it on to others. So that's the second consequence. Notice the third consequence is in the phrase right after that, by this time. In other words, God is saying, from the time you and I were saved to the time where we are now, if we are not to that point, then the third consequence is we have misused the time that God has given us from our salvation. It is a misuse of time. See, God says, I'll give you time, but here's where you should have progressed by now, by this time. I think the use of time is one of those things that you and I as Christians are going to have to give an account for when we get to heaven. Why did I use the time that I did? Did I use or get the best use out of the time, the lifespan, the, the hours in each day, the weeks, the months, the years that God gave us? Since I was saved, he says, by this Time, here's where you should have been. Here's where you should have been. And many Christians miss the mark because they do not commit themselves or make a priority their spiritual growth and maturity. A misuse of time. I mean, even think about that with the way God dealt with the Jews. And he was very gracious and merciful. But there came a time where he said, I'm cutting you off. Remember after Jesus rose from the dead and presented himself alive by many infallible proofs and then ascended back to heaven? God didn't just destroy the temple then and say, nope, temple's not needed. No, the temple existed till 70 AD until Titus came in and destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple with, again, only that wall that we call today the Wailing Wall that continues to stand to this day. So God gave them approximately a generation or more, 30, 35 years, to wrap their minds around the fact that what was old or under the old covenant was about to come to an end and that they needed to embrace Jesus Christ. But he didn't do it overnight. He gave them time. But then there came a time where he said, that's it. No more time. Temple's going to be destroyed. All the sacrifices and the sacrificial system will be done away with. Done. Because everything that you need can be found in Jesus Christ. Sometimes that's the way God even deals with us in the New Testament age. He'll say, I'm gonna, I've given you enough time to hear. Now I've got to bring in something so that you just don't keep going down that road again and keep doing the same thing over and over again. I've got to give you a little bit of a nudge if you will, out of love. So that's the third consequence, a misuse of time since salvation. 
Notice the next consequence. Unable to feed oneself spiritually. The Bible tells us that we as Christians should grow to the point where we can be a what's called a self-feeder rather than always relying on other teachers or people to teach us the Word of God. Notice what he says again in verse 12. For by this time, you still need someone to teach you the beginning elements of God's utterances. Basically, you still desire and even demand to be taught by others all the time. And he said, it's the ABCs of Christian doctrine. It, it's, the, it's the basic fundamentals and elements. It, it's not the hard stuff. It's not the spiritual adult food. It's the spiritual baby food. And you can't even teach yourself that. You demand and desire always to have someone else teach you. Sad place to be. I mean, think how tragic that would be in a normal human being if we grew up, even through our teenage years, and we were still eating baby food. That'd be pretty sad, right? And yet, think of it in the spiritual context. How many Christians have been saved for far too long, and they're not spiritual babies anymore, or at least they shouldn't be on that kind of a diet, and yet that's what they want, and they can't do it themselves. They've got to always look to someone else to be able to feed them. They need someone else to teach them, or else they have no understanding of God's Word. See, again, God expects us to get to a place, all of us as Christians, not just pastors, not just people who hold form. He expects all of us, since we were saved, to put ourselves on a pathway to growth. So not only can we share with others the things we have learned out of God's Word to help them, but so we can get to a place where when we open up the Word of God, we can get stuff out of it ourselves without always relying on someone else to do it for us. The fifth tragic consequence is that we can get to a place where we regress backwards into a limited spiritual diet. Notice what he says again at the end of verse 12. You have gone back to needing milk, not solid food. Now here again, in that passage or in that, that phrase, is a very important thing. He is reminding us, if we don't continue to go forward and make progress as a Christian and spiritually grow and mature, we are automatically going to do what? Go back. Again, as I've said over and over again, there's no such thing in the Bible as getting to a certain place as a Christian in my walk with God and just staying there and plateauing. I'm either going forward or I'm going backward. And for these people, again, one of the reasons why life was becoming really hard for them and they were about ready to give up is because they weren't spiritually progressing in life. They had spiritually gone backwards and now all they can handle is spiritual baby food. They cannot handle spiritual adult food, basically. That's all they can take in. Now let me stop for a moment too because this is really something that I'm very passionate about and I want to stop in the midst of this message today and say 
these few comments. Part of the problem today, and I, I will say, I, I won't say all because it's not all, but most of what you and I would call the mega churches today, the big churches that exist, they exist because they have labeled themselves as seeker sensitive churches. Which really is what they're saying is, we cater our local church ministry to the unbelievers who don't even know God yet, or to baby Christians. Therefore, when you go to those churches, you're pretty much only going to get milk. Or not even that. You might even get something less than milk. Because that's what their whole ministry is around. But here's the problem that I have with that. They have no biblical authority to do that. You see, the local church was never designed to be catered to an unbeliever or catered to spiritually immature people. It was catered so that the people of God could come and could exalt Christ through worship and could be edified through the scriptures and grow and become spiritually mature adults, fully grown, fully developed individuals. You and I in our churches can't do that if we are part of a church where we're only going to get milk every Sunday. Now listen, here's what I'm not saying by making those comments. I'm not saying that we as God's people are not to have a burden for the lost. I'm not saying that we shouldn't evangelize the lost. But that is not when we come together as God's people, that's not what our priority is supposed to be. Our pri- In fact, the very definition of the church is it's God's people, not, not God's people. So to say, we're gathering the church together or we're coming together as the church and half the people in the congregation don't even know God... That's not the church from God's definition. The church is only made up of God's people. But what what the church is supposed to do is when we come together and we exalt Christ through worship and we are edified through the word of God, that we become spiritually mature, growing Christians. Then we can actually be more effective in going out to our communities, our workplaces, our schools, our families, and all of that, and being the witness that we are called to be out there so that our lives influence the unsaved out there, they get saved out there and then are brought into the fellowship of the church in here where we worship God and we teach His Word and we teach spiritual adult food not milk. Now the sad thing to say too is that many Christians who are in these environments, they don't even know anything about spiritual meat. Because they don't know any different. They think this is all there is. And that's the sad thing of why they stay or actually then start going backwards spiritually after a time because... They never get anything to really sink their spiritual teeth into and be able to grow. They go back. And all they get is milk. 
And all they want is milk. Because that's all they can handle is spiritual baby food and milk. Notice the next consequence of spiritual immaturity. An inadequacy in handling the Word of God. Verse 13, For everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced in the message of righteousness. Inexperienced is probably a sort of an unfortunate translation. It simply means that the person does not have the adequate skill to be able to handle, handle the Word of God effectively. In order, ultimately in this context, to not only help and grow themselves, but to be able to help others learn about God through His Word. See, God expects again all of us as Christians to through our lifetime since our salvation gain some type of a mastery over this book. We should have an understanding of it, again, so that we can feed ourselves and so that we can help others learn about God through it as well. And then finally, in verse 14, the last consequence is that we will lack decisiveness and discernment in making decisions in our life if we are spiritually immature. We will lack decisiveness and discernment in making decisions. Why? Because solid food is for the mature whose perceptions or spiritual senses are being trained by practice to discern both good and evil. We gain proficiency in something through practicing it. And he's saying when a person is spiritually immature and they are only taking in the milk of the word after so long being saved, that we will lose our confidence and our decisiveness and our discernment and our perception at being able to make everyday decisions as Christians. Because spiritual discernment and spiritual perception and spiritual insight is something that you and I gain through our years of spiritual growth and maturity. That's why I just tell Christians, why encourage? Start growing. Get into a church where you can grow. Be around other Christians who have a passion to grow. And you will find over the weeks and the months and the years that you are growing that you will start to have an understanding and a comprehension and an insight into so many things that you would have never had had you not committed to spiritual growth. So that's why then in chapter 6, verse 1, notice the call to maturity. After he gives them all the consequences of spiritual immaturity, not so much to shame them or put them on a guilt trip, but just simply to say, the reason you are where you are is it's really been about your own choice. You're not in such a spiritually weak and unhealthy place because God wanted you there. And these are all the results of why spiritual immaturity is not just something to play around with. It's, not, it's dangerous to all of us. As Christians. So then he says in chapter 6, verse 1 Therefore, we must progress beyond the elementary instructions about Christ and move on to maturity. Notice he doesn't 
pick on any particular person. He says, we, we all have to commit to this as a church, as a body of believers, as a community of believers, because we all need to be encouraging each other to move on. Now, there's a couple things that he says here in chapter 6, verse 1, when he talks to us about the call to maturity. The first thing is this. We must let go of or lay aside what's easy and comfortable. That's what the words must progress beyond mean. It means to let go of or lay something aside. And then he goes on to say, I'm talking to you about the elementary instructions, the ABCs, the spiritual milk, the spiritual baby food. He said, in order, first of all, for us to go on and move on to maturity, we've got to learn to let go of some things and lay aside some things in our life. The easy things always, the comfortable things. We've got to allow God to stretch us. And if we never have that mindset or that attitude, we will never spiritually grow or mature. Because spiritually speaking, we have got to get to a place like even children do, where they are willing to say, dad or mom, take the training wheels off the bike. I I just want to ride on two wheels. Or I can remember even in my childhood, I would always, as I desired to go out into the deep 10-foot area of the pool, it was like I cling to the side. And I finally had sort of a, a guy that was several years older than me that I looked up to come up to me one day at the community pool and he said, Jeff, if you ever want to get out there in that 10-foot, you got to let go of the side of the pool. I know that's your comfort zone. And I would even, you know, cheat a little bit. I I would go out to the 10 foot, but I I was still clinging to the side of the pool. But the 10 foot was there. But I was like, as I looked at all my friends and stuff, diving off the high dives and all that, I'm like, well, I'll never be able to do that unless I let go. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying there's too many Christians that we've got our little bubble, our little comfort zone And he's saying, but you got to be willing to let go and lay aside of some of that easy, comfortable stuff and let God stretch you beyond what you're comfortable with because we'll never grow otherwise. And that's an important call to maturity. But there's another aspect as well in this verse. And that is, he says, and move on to maturity. And the words move on are an interesting word in the Greek language. It was a word that was used by seafarers or people who navigated ships on the water. And it basically meant to be driven or or moved by the wind. In other words, it it was the visual of, I'm going to put my sails up and I'm going to let the wind carry my boat. And drive me where I need to go. And the author here is saying this then to us. He's saying another aspect of going on to maturity is not just letting go and laying aside of the easy, comfortable things sometimes that are preventing us from moving on, but we've got to be willing to embrace being carried along by the Holy Spirit. As we talked about last week, we must have a power greater than us outside of ourselves, always exerting 
power into our lives. Because we can't do this on our own. And God's not expecting us to be able to move on to maturity on our own. He says, but you can do it if you raise your sort of personal spiritual sails every day and let the Holy Spirit carry you to spiritual maturity. Now, that doesn't mean we just sit back and let God do everything and we don't do anything. In fact, just the opposite. You and I have to be very intentional and in a sense work at learning to be filled by the Spirit and to yield to the Spirit and, you know, grow in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit. All these things that the New Testament commands us to do. I've got to learn as a Christian what it means to be led by the Spirit. There are so many Christians today that you start talking about being led by the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit and carried by the Spirit and they just look at you like, what are you talking about? Or maybe it's within certain circles like, well, you know, that whole spirit thing, that, that's good for those Pentecostals and Charismatics, but that's, no. has nothing to do with any kind of, it's biblical. God says the only way you and I are going to move on to maturity is not only being willing to let go and lay aside what's always easy and comfortable for us and allow God to stretch us But it's also learning to embrace being carried along by the Spirit of God. Every day, it's a good exercise for us as Christians to get up every day and in a sense very intentionally say, Spirit of God, let's go. You take me today where you want to take me. You do in my life what you want to do. I'm just going to raise my sails and let you carry me along. And you, Spirit of God, will be the driving force. You will be the power. You will be all of that behind me. And I know I've got to be conscious of it. I've got to consciously keep connected to you throughout the day. But it's going to be you, Spirit, and by me depending on you, Spirit, to get me where I need to get to. I love what he says here. He says, let's move on to maturity. In a sense, he's saying to his readers thousands of years ago, guys and gals, it's time to move on. We can't stay where we're at. Because if we stay where we're at, we're actually going to start sliding backwards. We have got to be willing to move on. And maybe one of the greatest reasons why many Christians don't ever move on to maturity is because they get to a certain place in their Christian life, things in life get pretty comfortable. Got a good job. Make a good living, got a nice home, got a couple cars, got some friends, got everything materially that I want, whatever. I'm just going to sort of settle down here and just sort of spiritually just lapse. In fact, if you go back up to verse 11... 
That's exactly what it means by being sluggish in hearing. It means to become spiritually lazy, listless, languishing, or laxing. Just got a little bit too comfortable. And there's no way we're going to move on. See, that's why God in His love actually will never allow our church to totally get comfortable. Why there'll be scaffolding some Sundays. Why there'll be things to navigate around. And that's why He, we, you know, have things that every once in a while are just going to pop up even unexpectedly in our life. Why? Because the only way that many times we are willing to let go of and lay aside this nice, cushy, comfortable life we have and realize that the priority of my life is primarily not to be comfortable, but to become spiritually mature. And that's what I need to focus on. Then we may be willing to move on. Otherwise, we sort of like it here. Think we'll camp out here for a while, God. But God says that's not going to be good for you over the long haul. Because what's coming five years from now into your life that I know, what's coming ten years from now into your life, what may even be coming next week or next month, you won't be prepared for unless you start moving on to maturity. What's coming might rock your world if you don't commit to spiritual growth and maturity. As the pastor of the Oasis Church, all I can say to all of us today is, it's time to move on. God is saying to us, I want to use the Oasis Church like never before. I want you all to be a lighthouse in this community. But in order for me to squeeze all the potential out of you, then we need to commit to moving on to maturity, to keep growing, to keep progressing, and not ever become complacent or satisfied where we are. Let's stand. As our worship team is coming, I I want us to focus this morning on those four words in chapter 6, verse 1 of Hebrews. Move on to maturity. If God has spoken to your heart and mind today through this passage of Scripture, then here's my question for you today. What move do you need to make in order to keep moving? What move do you need to make in your life in order to keep moving? God, thank you for this challenge today. Sometimes the prescription of God's Word isn't something that's easy to swallow or that necessarily tastes good, but it's necessary. It's a necessary medicine. And even for myself, this message was a little bit of an ouch. Like, oh, yeah. 
Good reminder, but hurts a little bit. A little convicting, a little challenging. And yet God only shares with us these truths because He wants us to be truly free in Him. He wants us to reach the potential that He placed within us long ago. He does so because He loves us so much that He has our best interests always at heart. So I ask again before we sing this final song this morning, if your heart's desire truly is to embrace moving on to maturity in your life, then what move do you need to make today to keep moving? God, thank you for the power of your word. Use it in our lives as your people today, Lord, to help us keep moving on. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.